Good evening, I'm Chase Bailey of Left Bank Films. And our podcast called The Love of Film, tonight's episode is episode four, where we discuss the best actors of the 1940s. Tonight's podcasters are Kay Jurdy, Brigitte Abreu, Dennis Collins Johnson, Todd Hunter, Freeman Fletcher, and myself, Chase Bale. We will discuss our top two actors. My favorite actor, since I'm up first, my uh, number two pick is Cary Grant. Uh, Cary Grant, who did Philadelphia Story, Arsenic and Old Lace, Bishop's Wife, Suspicion, Girl Friday, the list goes on and on. Uh, Cary Grant did enormous amount of work in the 40s. And I loved his work, whether it was dark, whether it was comedic. uh, And then even in Suspicion, he did a a good thriller. Uh, He did well with that, with Hitchcock. So, um, and Girl Friday, I didn't even mention, did I? Um, But he did 23 films in the 1940s. 23 films in the 1940s. Busy guy. Oh, my God. Uh, Well, anyway, I love Cary Grant. Cary Grant's my number two choice for best actor. I always felt like George Clooney would be, like, the perfect star to play Cary Grant in the movie. He would, wouldn't he? I think he has a younger George Clooney. Yeah. A younger George Clooney. Yeah. Get me huh. George Clooney. Yeah. Uh, but Brigitte, what is your number two choice? My number two is Cary Grant. Um, <laughs> I love that man. I, what I love about him, I was reflecting on this as I was preparing for this. What I love about him is how versatile he is. And, you know, not even in terms of the kinds of characters he played, because he tended to play the same kind of character. But as an actor, I feel like he can bring it really, really big and really, really subtle. And I never felt like he was being inappropriate with either um, size in terms of how he would, you know, portray a character in anything in, you know, his Girl Friday and, um uh, the wonderful um, Arsenic and Old Lace, which we love. You know, he's so good at maintaining energy through the whole thing, but you don't feel like he's pushing ever. And it's so, that's so hard to do. He was comfortable. Um, yeah. He was yeah. comfortable in his roles. He was always so competent. Like, and he yes. generally played very competent characters as well. Um, but, you know, there's just something about Cary Grant. I, uh, I don't know. It's uh, a real skill there. Arsenic, he played uh, in Hitchcock, Suspicion. Yes. And then he did Bishop's Wife, which we all love. Yes. Uh, uh, The Philadelphia Story and Girl Friday. And what a perfect example of his range to go from Suspicion to like Arsenic and Old Lace. Yeah. Like, and and there are my two favorite directors, like on, you know, my two directors on the list, um, their movies. and he's so perfect. He fits into both. It's incredible. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he can do that subtlety of like, you know, hmm. <laughs> and yet he can do the, the really big what? You know, that is the arsenic and old lace kind of vibe. And I just, yeah, I've always admired him as an actor. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Well, he was my number two also. Hey! Yes. So, Todd, your number two choice for best actor. My number two choice for best actor was chosen uh, because there'd be no other decade I could choose this actor. And it seems like a sin uh, as someone who does both theater and film to not have this actor be be given at least the accolades he should. Um, and that would be Laurence Olivier. Oh. Um, he capped off the, the decade uh, with Rebecca. <laughs> um, and he, he is just, absolutely just the way he delivers the lines and uh it's it's like silk um he's he's a very mannered theatrical way about him obviously um but he was just so he was also so groundbreaking and he bridged um shaped he bridged theater and film in his own way 
you know, it was before Brando, it was before Method, you know, and of course there's the whole classic, you know, seven is the story in the seventies between Olivier and Hoffman. What, my boy, why don't you just simply act, you know, and it, and Olivier along, you know, uh, uh, in terms of that very classic, and I don't use classic in a derogative term by any way, and it's kind of a catch-all, but, you know, nobody could deliver Shakespeare like Olivier, you know, even, even, even though I love uh, Brana, he's a very different type of uh, he delivers his Shakespeare in a different way. He understands it, in a, and I would say in a, in a different way than, say, Olivier did. Um, and just the fact that he was in both Henry V and Hamlet, both in the 1940s, you know, later later on, I think it's 1945 and uh, 1948, <clears throat> he was uh, the quintessential screen Hamlet and uh, uh, Henry V until Branagh. Um, and I mean, uh, Olivier's Hamlet is so well known. He even shows up in, you know, Schwarzenegger's last action hero at one point. Mm -hmm. um, he, he's just... Not to be. Yes, or not to be. Um, so I think, I think uh, in terms of, I don't think he was primarily a film actor. I think Olivier is primarily known for stage. But the two mediums have more similarities um, than than not, uh, both both to their you know both both to their uh, positives and also to their detriment, I should say. Um, and I think I think it's important to show to to mention Olivier's contributions in the 1940s of uh, of his acting and how many um, uh, strove to be like him. Um, so that's why my pick for number two is Lawrence Olivier. And if I want to put Lawrence Olivier for number two, wait until you hear who's number one. Oh, fantastic. Oh, you? you know, oh, sorry. Uh, uh, Hamlet was my choice for favorite film. Yeah. Less Casablanca and, right. uh, and Citizen Kane. Um, and I loved his performance in that. I don't know if you guys have seen the recent The Tragedy of Macbeth. Not yet. Not yet. Oh, I saw that. Nothing at the bit. Oh my gosh, what a great film! Um, but anyway, let's. Is that Denzel, you talking about? Yeah, Denzel and Francis what, McDormand. Would you put? Where would you put David Tennant there, if anywhere? Were David Tennant's right up there in the top. But remember, I mentioned one of my favorite Hamlets. After of course, uh, of course Olivier is Richard Burton when he did it on stage in New York. It's uh, interesting because my, my remember my professor actually liked David Tennant's better, this is very controversial, better than Laurence Olivier's Hamlet. So I'm wondering, Todd, if you had seen his Hamlet, what you thought of his, his, his work, his Hamlet and Shakespeare. I have, I ha actually haven't. I mean, I like David Tennant. Um, I, I don't, I, I don't think it's that controversial to, say that they, your professor, did he say he preferred it or he like bar none, this is, he's far better than Olivia. He really had a thing for David Tennant. And I think she liked, I'm going to say maybe the modernization of it because the reality yeah. was that um, as you know, Hamlet was essentially midlife at the time it was written. And even it's not midlife. I mean, he was still a kid at the time Olivier did it, but um, he really kind of brought to light the fact that this is like a college stage kid, you know? So, um, and I think she really, the modernization of it and Royal Shakespeare Company, we watched a lot of those in our class. Um, it, there was Sir Patrick Stewart was in a lot of them. He's in Hamlet. And um, yeah, she just, I think the, it was a different style of acting too that Tennant brought to the table. So I think, um, but I well, love it. I, I enjoyed Tennant's version very well. I mean, it's so hard to differentiate. Yeah, I don't like to it, compare. It almost gets down to, you know, apples and oranges. Which do you like better? I agree. Uh, I just thought it was interesting. That my... Yeah. That's, yeah. The <laughs> of, that's the beauty of Hamlet. And that's why it's hard to compare. That's right. Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a performance that, um, and, and not a lot of, I don't think there are a lot of Shakespeare characters at least to the level of hamlet that can be 
interpreted in so many different ways. It's it's okay. a very odd, it's a very odd play, actually. Um, well, you know, if you think about it, to be and not to be basically defines the whole film. Who is Hamlet? Yeah. He is stuck in this netherworld between two different people. And and how much are you going to show on one side and how much you're going to show on the other? And it's very difficult. When I was doing the play, of course, I didn't know shit. I was young. Uh, and I had a director that probably didn't know what in the fuck he was doing. <laughs> God. Uh, but, you know, we did the play and I enjoyed it. And that's why it's one of my favorite plays of all. I love that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think that I just found it interesting that my professor appreciated and, and actually enjoyed Tenet more than Olivier. I think she had a little crush on Tenet too, but uh, <laughs> you know, she was, yeah. and she was, yeah, he is hot. He's yummy. Right. <laughs> I, I, I you honestly know. really enjoyed Ethan Hawke as Hamlet. Do oh. or not to be in a blockbuster. I mean, I, <laughs> I've not seen yeah, it of Ethan Hawke. I just think I agree with you guys. And especially as an actor, I, I don't like comparing, but I just found it interesting. And I'm going to have to check out Ethan Hawke. Yeah, no, it's a great scene. It, it, Ethan Hawke playing Hamlet, honestly, is probably closer to reality than a lot of the screen Hamlets I've seen because he's such a brooding brat in that <laughs> film. And it's actually a really good cut of Hamlet. It's less than two hours. Bill Murray's in it. Um, it's a, it's a oh, Bill Murray is in Hamlet. that. Bill People Murray have, is in that film. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it's a weird indie Hamlet. Contemporary, yes. Like taking place in a very contemporary, well, contemporary for the like 2000. Oh. Um, when it came out in New York City. And he like, and, you know, Ethan Hawke is just such a brooding. He's totally, you know, reality bites in it. I was just going to say, really he's got that down with, yeah, exactly. And that's a good interpretation of Hamlet. He's kind of just a self-absorbed dickhead. You know? I did. And I think I, that's why so, so many... I think that's why so many men want to play him. <laughs> I, 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 I didn't like the film, but it was enjoyable. It was just yeah, one oh, of yeah. those good films that I enjoyed watching. Yeah. And uh, if and you, you haven't like seen, it? if you haven't seen Richard Burton on stage in New York, which is he's wonderful. Oh God, he. I haven't seen him on stage. Did you see him live, Chase? No, no, no. Oh. I saw. There's a DVD. That uh, you didn't pick up, by the way, Todd, when you were here. But uh, I have a DVD of him on stage. I have a lot of DVDs of of old plays from New York. But anyway, Kate, we're on to you. What was the middle part again? The middle it's part a, is your a, number two actor. It's a joke. Did anyone get that reference, Fish Called Wanda? <laughs> yes, absolutely. I love it. Oh, okay. Um, that was Kevin Klein's line, not yours. Yeah. So number two actor um, would be Bogey. And I, I think it's self-explanatory. We can move along. I mean, just long of the short of it. I mean, the you know, we've mentioned Key Largo. We've mentioned Maltese Fal Falcon, which I still need to see in Toto. Um, we've mentioned um, Casablanca. Um, he just... He's just a care. I mean, he's a leading man, but he brings and not I, I don't know how to explain it. He's just he's got it, you know? Yeah. He's I got mean, it. And it's um and his moxie and his kind of swagger and I just I love it. Bring it on. Bogey number 2. Fantastic. And uh there's not much to say about Bogart. Um uh, he's phenomenal. Freeman, your number well, two. Well, actually, I wanted to say about Bogart, I think the thing that's most remarkable about him is I don't think he's a very good actor, but he chose, <laughs> one, he picked <laughs> phenomenal scripts, and two, he he has, exactly like Kate said, he has it. It's like, in it. Casablanca, he's like the ultimate, like, we we could all wish to be him <laughs> to oh, be Rick in that movie. I forgot like, to I failed to mention too Treasure of Sierra Madre, right? And yeah. he's I think Treasure of the Sierra Madre is the one 
that I've seen of his. I haven't seen all of his stuff, but the one of his where I'm like, that is his best performance. Like that one, he really shows up in that one to like um and I don't I don't think he's bad by any means but I think he I think he's an actor that uh had a lot more charisma than necessarily talent but I think one of those actors that really carried it through with that I feel feel like Humphrey Bogart would like show up on the set with a pack of cigarettes and (laughs) and he'd be like I'm just gonna be me you know I'm just that's the thing he's He's an institution, you know, that you, he didn't need to act like anybody else because everyone else wanted to be mm. him. So, yeah, I, you know, I think, he's just like, I think he had, I and I agree, but I, I would also mention, I think he had an incredibly strong and committed work ethic. That is the vibe I get from him. Yeah, no, watch no, him, watch no, about no, no bullshit. No, you, you, watch some films of outtakes and you see how serious he took his acting. You know, mm. was, uh, if he blew a line, he was he was not happy with himself and uh, very specific about what he was doing. I've yet to meet a Capricorn that doesn't have a strong work ethic. And it comes through regardless of um, how anyone feels. Todd's laughing. Well, Todd, you're so hard on yourself. So I'm not going to even listen to what you have to say. <laughs> Todd's a Capricorn for anyone listening to this. Um yeah, he, I just, and that doesn't surprise me, Dennis, because I think it comes through watching him as an actor and you being an actor, right? Like it comes through in his acting, his, his commitment, I think. Well, there's a lot to his acting. I mean, if you, you know, I've, I've taught acting for years. So when I watch Bogart work, I mean, everything is just so precise and he makes it look easy. And that's the, that's the key. When somebody does great things. You think, yeah, I could do that. I can go home and do that. But, um, you know, just, uh, just, just the, just the whole thing about not, um, you know, not, not stepping on himself, not doing two things at once. I mean, it's, uh, you know, or if he does, it's, it's entirely, uh, choreographed, but it doesn't look choreographed. And I think that's maybe what Freeman is feeling about him is it, it looks too easy. It looks like he just showed up, but Boy, I'll tell you, when you when you look at his scenes and analyze what the hell he's doing, his eyes, what you know, it's just it's, it's very, very deliberate. I agree with what you guys are saying about him, too. I think a good contemporary <clears throat> comparison to Humphrey Bogart in terms of both his persona and also work ethic, like what he does makes it look easy, is Jack Nicholson. Um, I think Jack Nicholson, in a lot of ways, uh, yeah, he's not like Humphrey Bogart because he's original. He's one of the most original performers of the last of the 20th century and, and into the 21st. You know, everyone knows Jack Nicholson, but I th- like Humphrey Bogart. He is 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 incredibly committed to his craft, or was. I, th- I mean, he's kind of unofficially like retired, um, but he he you know he made some. Uh, a friend of mine once thought that he was actually a pretty bad actor because. Um, he just seemed like he was Jack all the time. Well, it's, of course he's going to be Jack. He's, he's Jack Nicholson. He's who he is, you know, but within the performances, and I think this is the same as Humphrey Bogart, within the performances, you see a craftsmanship and a dedication to excellence. Um, so that even though, yes, whenever Jack Nicholson is in a name movie, he's Jack Nicholson. Um, whenever Humphrey Bogart is in a movie, he's Humphrey Bogart. But you see what the actor themselves are doing within the performance and you do see uh, a tremendous talent and tre- a tremendous work ethic. So we, we have to Jack remember- Nicholson. Jack Nicholson's phenomenal. Yeah. We have to remember that that um, you know, particularly back in the studio system, that you ain't going to get work if the audience doesn't recognize you. You know, so Paul Muni. Nobody's brought up Paul Muni at all, and uh, you know that's because all of his parts, he he basically and and Lon Chaney. I mean, in the silent films, uh, you couldn't recognize him. And, the, you know, actors figured out right away that if I, uh, you know, if they don't recognize me and they're not going to show up for my films, you know, to see, oh, yeah, I like to. And so people like Bogart or, you know, basically almost everybody are going to be playing versions of themselves because that's what's saleable. It's not saleable otherwise. You know, the studios are going to go, why should I cast you? Nobody knows who you are. They're not going to come see you. So they're they're playing against that. And I think a lot of that would suppress some of the things that we would recognize as great acting because otherwise they ain't going to be cast and they're looking, you know, they're looking out for their career 
first of all, you know, I think. And then once they get cast, now they're looking out for their acting uh, abilities and, and what they show in that in that regard. But anyway. Well, OK, yeah. so Freeman, we're on number two for you. Um, so I was going to say Cary Grant, because I think he's one of the most effortlessly charismatic uh, performers of all time. But um, I, I actually did want to throw out because uh, that the conversation that we just had about um, Humphrey Bogart <laughs> made me remember somebody who I have not seen nearly enough work of, but um, uh, Edward G. Robinson. Oh yeah. Because uh, recently I I showed some friends Double Indemnity, uh, which I believe was one of Todd's picks, um, and they were they were so taken with edward g robinson because he's so likable in that movie um as this weird and he's another guy who always kind of he always sort of played edward g robinson but um he he has such a memorable presence and voice and distinctive um personality uh and it's funny because i'm looking at the two movies i i can remember seeing him in are double indemnity where he plays kind of the moral heart of the movie and key largo where he plays a total son of a bitch um and it's just it's fascinating because they're not wildly different performances but they're he he is able to um to fully deliver on both sides of uh the good guy bad guy spectrum which i just think is a very interesting and valuable uh talent so edward g robinson his uh his his um model i, I rewatched double indemnity after i think our last episode um and his monologue uh when he right when here he, right here uh when he when he's sitting when he's when his boss is acting like what were or believes what happened was not an accident um and keys the character he plays keys is going on about i've seen you know every type of insurance claim known to man and he's going through every single one and you know he's kind of taking court between his his boss who he answers to and then of uh fred mcmurray you know and he's kind of he's kind of playing the chorus to both of them and his his delivery of that entire monologue is mesmerizing. <laughs> Absolutely mesmerizing. The, his, the way he speaks, the, his movements, his expressions. Um, he's phenomenal in it. And I agree with you. He's a, like another one of those, oh, I know that face. I know that. <laughs> but you wouldn't exactly say he like. Nobody holds a cigar like him. No one holds yeah. a cigar like him. But you wouldn't exactly say like, you know, he disappears into his role. You, you know, it's been a while since I've seen Double Indemnity. And, so and I really remember Stanwyck and being so, and McMurray, I think it was in that. Yeah. Uh, so I just love that film. Uh, I need to go back and look and remember who Robinson was. He was Fred McMurray's boss, was he not? Or partner? like his boss and friends oh, kind okay. of mentor sort of yeah um, okay but it's okay. the best thing about his character in that movie is like he'll just drop little things about like how his life is completely ruined by by his work ethic <laughs> like he almost got married once and then he did like an insurance background check on the girl and, oh, like, yeah. <laughs> got her arrested or something it's it's, it's crazy it's kind of psychotic that he would be such a piece of shit if he wasn't played by edward g robinson and you're like oh i love that guy even though he's a total mess um, well, fantastic. Okay, Dennis, you're number two. Yeah, I can be brief about this because we've uh, we've we've identified several of these people before. But I went through uh, Charles Lawton, who made 20 films in the 40s. Um, Jimmy Stewart, uh, you know, who's considered by many to be the the greatest actor of American film. Um, and you know, he did uh, he did Shop Around the Corner, Philadelphia Story, It's a Wonderful Life, Rope in the forties, um, you know, great, great, uh, some great films, but it's really tough to get past um, Grant and Bogart. So I have to pick uh, Cary Grant as number two. Ah, 
Um, you know, and, and for the films that uh, I discovered recently, well, uh, Bishop's Wife was one really brilliant uh, low-key comedy done by him, considering, you know, a lot of his stuff is really broad. But that was a very touching, very, very uh, funny. I mean, I laughed out loud in a couple of places, but he's not playing it for laughs. Not at all. It's just, it's the timing. And if you haven't seen that, that's, that's pretty too. Gary, uh, Cary Grant and drag. Um, so yeah, there, there you have it. And, um, yeah, I've seen, uh, seen all those movies, uh, a bunch, bunches of times, his 40, 40s movies. And, uh, you know, he, he only gets better with age. I mean, fifties and sixties still does great stuff, but anyway, that's my number two. Fantastic. I love Cary Grant. That was my number two. Um, my number one is Humphrey Bogart. I know you guys are going to hate me, but I think he was a phenomenal actor. I really enjoyed his acting. Uh, I agree. Uh, I just, uh, I think, uh, as Dennis said, he approached it from a very methodical, uh, way of acting that I just enjoyed. I think he got into the role of Rick. He got into the role, uh, I forget the character's name in Sierra Madre, and he dwelled into it and he played that kind of stoic role as Rick. Uh, you know, he's, uh, you know, he's battling the British, I'm British, uh, the Nazis, uh, he's battling, you know, his love for uh, Ingrid, uh, Elsa, uh, Ilsa, I'm sorry. And, uh, you know, I think it all comes out in just his facial movements. Um, he doesn't overact like a lot of uh, actors do. I think he was very subtly appropriate in his roles. I just, uh, so I, 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 I really loved Bogart's uh, acting. Uh, I really did. Uh, if I were a director, I would, I would cast him. If you had the right role. So you anyway, know, that's my number one. Passes the Chase seal of approval for casting. You know, I I be on the grave. He's like finally. Uh, you know, I you know. Uh, <laughs> My, I, I, I never worked under Dennis, uh, except I, I think I took a couple of uh, aside things. And Dennis is a good acting coach. But my acting coach was Bob Meyer. And, and I don't know if you guys know Bob Meyer, but Dennis does, of course. Um, uh, Bob died last year, God damn it. But, um, uh, and, uh, and Bob Meyer was John Malkovich's acting coach. Oh. And... You know, we, we, we would talk about, you know, whether it was, uh, what's the mammoth play that, uh, nickel Buffalo, nickel, nickel, Buffalo, American Buffalo, American Buffalo. Thank you. Um, uh, and, um, working with mammoth, working with Malkovich, working with Bob Meyer. I just appreciate good acting when I see it on the screen and, and I see it with uh, Humphrey. I, you know, yes, did he bring Humphrey with him? Yeah, he did. Uh, does George Clooney bring George with him? Does Jack bring Jack with him? Uh, yeah, they do. But I, I see Jack in The Shining as Jack in Five Easy Pieces as two different Jacks. Yeah. Uh, I really do. And you, uh, and, and you believe both of them. And I believe both of them. And yeah, I believe I both of them. Yeah. So, so Humphrey is my, my number one actor for the forties. Yes. So who's number one? Number one for me is Spencer Tracy. Ooh, we differ on that. Hey. So let's go down Spencer Tracy's road. Yes. Well, he had a, he had a, his whole slew of films in the forties. Um, but you something... know, he had, he had, he had, you know, he had six less films in the 40s than Cary Grant, just to let you know. <laughs> I counted. I did the logistics. That's amazing. Yeah, I'm looking now on IMDb. That's funny. 
Wow. Yeah, they both put out quite a bit. Oh, yes, they did. Working, uh, working, working. Spare, I guess that Spencer was the studio. Tracy, the studio Spencer system. Tracy hit me with Adam's rip. That's the one. That, yeah. Yes. I'm so glad that you told me to watch that. I, I liked that movie and I loved his performance. Um, but something that he always has um starting in like woman of the year which is like the is that 42 um yeah yep. yeah that's that's the earliest one in the 40s that i saw of his what he consistently has is naturalism and i feel like i could pluck him out of the 40s and put him in a movie now with like robert de niro or something and he would fit right in um and you wouldn't see a difference between the styles because he has this very specific inner world um and he I, I don't know there's something about that specificity in an actor that the, the camera is almost like an x-ray and it can see you thinking and if you are thinking real thoughts it just I don't know there's something about it that comes across and he always has that very very good technique and just something that for me personally that's my that's my taste like that's what I like well that's one one of the reasons I loved Adam's rip is because yeah. him and Catherine had such a great yeah. rapport together. They and, did. And you could see that the mechanisms going on in both of their brains when yeah. they're having all this trouble with one another. Yeah. It was like, what the fuck's going on here? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know you almost feel like they're um, like they're improvising and you can't tell. And yeah, that's what's great. Can't. That's great. And how much can we say that really about actors in the 40s? Everything was so um, still sort of stuck in the stage kind of vibe a lot of the time. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and just that just that cadence. But they really hit this like natural talking over each other, you know, little little touches, little, you know, hits that you're like, oh, I bet that wasn't staged, you know, or, or it could have been. They're just that good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Fantastic. yeah, he's my number. He's my numero uno. Yeah. Numero uno. Okay. Some honorable <laughs> mentions you want to mention? Oh man, who else was on my list? You know, Humphrey Bogart has grown on me. I used to hate him actually when I was growing up. I didn't understand why he was cast all the time as a leading man. Um, but as I've grown older, um, he's grown on me. And I, I think he has a similar thing to Spencer Tracy where He's got a very specific inner life, but for me, it doesn't always read as much as Spencer Tracy's. So he, he's an honorable mention. He's up there. Um, now Humphrey Bogart is my number one choice. Really? Simply. I mean, uh, treasure, the Sierra Madre, uh, Key Largo, yeah. uh -huh. uh, sleep, uh, yep. Maltese Falcon, Casablanca. Mm -hmm. I mean, the films that he did in the forties yeah. were just up there for me and he yeah. was the star in all of those do you feel like story. he only did one and have and have not which i didn't even mention. yes yes of yeah. course but do you feel like he only ever did one kind of note of a character yes it was well yeah. no treasure of the sierra yeah. madres is not He's very different in that that's one? a different note okay that's a okay. different note i'll have to watch that he then. oh you haven't seen treasure of the sierra madres no i haven't oh no that is a totally different note uh Okay. Key Largo is a different note. Yeah, uh, yeah. If you go with the Big Sleep, Maltese Falcon, Have and Have Not, he plays this strong character. Right. But he is a weak character in Treasure of the Sierra Madre. Mm, okay. And and, uh, and also in Key Largo, he plays a, a little devious character. Well, Dennis loved Key Largo. You've yes. seen it, haven't you? I believe so, but years ago, Dennis showed it to me when I was a teenager. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. Humphrey uh, Bogart did a lot of great things. Yeah, he's he's very he's good. My number one, by the way. I understand why. <laughs> yes, but he's an honorable mention for me for sure. Okay. Uh, my my number one uh, 1940s actor was is uh, Jimmy Stewart, um, wow. and I'm going to include, even though it came out in 1939, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington because it's a stellar performance, and I. I'm fine with including it in his, in his just absolute incredible run in the 1940s. Uh, you know, and we've Dennis has touched on it too with uh, Philadelphia story and, and rope and his, and, you know, I think it led into, uh, and of course it's a wonderful life. Um, what I like about 
Stewart, especially in retrospect, is he does, you know, Tom Hanks has been able to capture the Jimmy Stewart magic. You know, it's his own. It's not, he's not like aping Jimmy Stewart, but he's, uh, he's America's uh, uh, everyman. He's somebody everybody could relate to. And Jimmy, um, Jimmy really had an incredible state, uh, a screen presence as that, but he also had just such uh, a dark side that he did not shy away from it. We've, I've mentioned before, and it, it's with It's a Wonderful Life, you see it when he's he's at the end of his rope, and I and it's very real uh, um, where he's pulling all of this pain from. And that's brave, uh, I think. That's brave as an actor, especially in uh, uh, what, I think It's a Wonderful Life came out, what, 1948? 46, 46. Um, yeah. So, you know, for, for, and that was back when, when you absolutely did not talk about any type of PTSD or uh, mental trauma, emotional trauma from the war, and which of course Stuart was in as long, along with Capra. And um, I think being able to see a very uh, American and relatable actor uh, go to the depths emotionally that he he dared to do in an era that you didn't talk about that sort of thing. Um, and especially for a movie that ultimately didn't do well and wasn't recognized until decades later. Um, I think I think Jimmy Stewart uh, was quite versatile and uh, and showed it even more later on uh, past this decade with Vertigo uh in what in what a sick fuck he was <laughs> it's, you know and he embraced that fully in vertigo too he he had no trace of uh george bailey or or mr smith from you know uh, and and that was the beauty of and i love that hitchcock who was a sick fuck himself would keep working as steward and in fact uh from what i understand vertigo was where they diverged because Hitchcock infamously made a comment that he thought in retrospect that uh, Stewart was too old for the role. Uh, <laughs> um, but Stewart's performance in it is phenomenal. And when he did Rear Window and-, and Oh, Rear Window, yeah. You know- um, That's Spirit of St. Louis. Spirit of St. Louis. And yeah, I, I, acting in a box for most of the film and he pulls it off. He pulls it off. And I, and I think uh, I, I would go so far as to stay you know, Stewart upon first glance has the hallmarks of the actors we've been talking about, like Humphrey Bogart, Jack Nicholson, where as soon as you see Jimmy Stewart, you're like, okay, I mean, Dana Carvey did great imitations of him, you know. But just, let's it, get him. Yeah, exactly. You know, like he's, uh, he's, a, very, uh, uh, he's a very recognizable um, uh, personality, but I think that he, he was was a, a a very versatile actor underneath the person like the persona and you know you can see it in those scenes and it's a wonderful life where he's sitting at the bar you know praying that he gets out of this you see the despair in his in his eyes and he doesn't look like he's acting he looks like he's he's having a moment in character and uh i think he's just a, a fascinating performer um and of course you know just a, a lovable personality when i don't know if you ever saw him i think he was on johnny carson in his later years shortly before he passed and he he read a poem about his dog that had passed recently and his, and how much he loved his dog and that that to me is like quintessential jimmy stewart right there yeah. um he he was he was quite a guy and uh, i think his reign during the 1940s is just absolutely stellar. So that was my number one. You know, interesting. Absolutely agree. Yeah. Interesting comparison with Bogart and Jimmy Stewart, both really skinny guys. Yeah. And if you see them without their clothes on, uh, they look, they don't look leading men like, but when you dress them up, they look really good. You know, Bogart said once they wanted to cast him as a boxer, he said, Look at this physique. Nobody's going to buy me as a boxer. <laughs> Jimmy Stewart, I've been watching movies, and, and, and Grace will say, he's really skinny. You why, know, why, Dennis, down. Dennis, why are you looking at these pictures of them nude? Well, you know, we all each have our little fetishes. Nothing <laughs> um, wrong with that. Oh, go ahead, Freeman. 
Oh, I was actually, I was just going to say, um, it was mentioned earlier, but Jimmy Stewart in Rope is also a very interesting oh, sort of yes. his proto vertigo performance because he plays this really bitter shit in that movie who is forced to sort of come to that movie is very interesting in a lot of different ways but um the way that he's forced to come to terms with like sort of how his teachings and philosophy taken to the extreme uh uh and and that entire dynamic is it's very interesting and it's really yeah, him a, and like hitchcock a stage, did some things that... too because they shoot it in two takes you know yeah so you mm. have to you have to be you know a film actor is not going to pull that off unless you have some stage experience too and i also don't think everybody in rope does necessarily pull it off i don't think ropes one of hitchcock's more successful movies but i think jimmy stewart in that movie is yeah <clears throat> I love Jimmy Stewart. Um, Todd, I couldn't agree more with everything you said. I think that he was actually my number two. It's hard for me as well as an actor to like, kind of, I actually had a tough time with female. I, I just in that, in that era for some reason. Um, but I had a bunch for men and I, he ends up in my honorable mention, but Jimmy Stewart, um, you know, I, I don't know, side note, I think it's more important to be a good person than to like do anything you can to make it in this business. And I do think Jimmy Stewart was, had an incredible work ethic, was incredibly talented, incredibly dedicated. Um, and I think he was a good person. I remember Sam Elliott, who was, I think him and um, Tom Selleck were two of the last contracted actors at MGM, actually. I think it was MGM contracted. It was like not done after them. They were the last two. And he talks about Sam Elliott. He's kind of, you know, quiet. And he says, you know, actors sometimes will do anything they can. This is such, it's so fucked up. But it's true what he's saying. He said, they'll do anything they can to throw you off. And it's, he was, you know, not impressed with it. He was not condoning it. He was just calling it as it was. And he said he did a scene with Jimmy Stewart. Um, you know, when they do the turnaround shots, normally they have a stand-in. I have stories off camera for you on that. <laughs> not with any of those two, but I've done enough stand-in work. Um, and he said, Jimmy Stewart stayed and I believe it was raining and he stood there while they did the turnaround shot. This is Sam Elliott's memory of James Stewart. <clears throat> and he stood there for his, um, for um, James Stewart's POV shot so they could get the camera on. So he could get the reaction that he needed having Jimmy Stewart in that scene with him, even though they didn't need him, even though he wasn't being shown on camera. So I think um, tremendous actor, amazing talent, loved his work, loved, he also had it, he brought, all of that to um, his work and he had so much excitement and I, I mean, he's phenomenal and he'll probably show up in other decades again. But um, I just, I, I think you pointed out the story about what he, I think it was on Johnny Carson with the, with the dog passing. And that was a story I had to share just with another human that Sam Elliott brought up. And I think, you know, for me, it's important to be a good person <laughs> and um yeah, I, I liked that that shows through in his in his work. He's magic. I love Jimmy Stewart. Magic. Fantastic. Kate, now you're number one. Well, we'll do one of um, HMs after, right, Chasey? Yes, uh-huh. Um, number one, you guys, this is not going to be a surprise. You know how much I love him. You know, I've talked about how he, along with Joseph Cotton, when he's in a film, it kind of brings it to a new level. Um, of excitement and that is Peter Lorre. Hmm. I think the ultimate actor is a character actor. And I think a lot of who we talked about, even though they were also leading men, could couple as character actors, but Peter Lorre, Joseph Cotton, Peter Lorre is my number one, but just the ultimate character actor. And um, not in this decade, but playing in M, a serial killer, um, arsenic and old lace, where he's kind of like this, you know, slapstick sidekick. Um, I've seen a bunch of his 
movies where he's only in like 20 minutes of it. They had HFA had a um, retrospective. A lot of them were from the 50s um, on Peter Lorre and Peter Lorre films. And in each one, he was, I mean, yeah, you're always going to bring who you are to it. But um, yeah, he, he's something else. I love my Peter Lorre. So he's my number one. And I think I've talked about him enough in the other episodes to not go on ad nauseum. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to add something about Peter Lorre. I mean, um, uh, I saw M, uh, which is a thirties film, but I saw M a long, long, a hundred years ago. And Kate, when you mentioned M again, uh, Fritz Lang's film with Peter Lorre as the serial killer, I had to go back and rewatch it. And I just rewatched it the other day and it's a really good film. I really enjoyed it. Thank you for mentioning that. And it was fun to see Peter Lorre work as, as that serial killer. He did a and, good job. And isn't it interesting with a lot of Lorre films, he's only in like 10 or 15 or 20 minutes of these well, films. You, you, don't, but you don't see him for 20, 30 minutes of the film. That There was one film, I'm forgetting the name, I believe it was in the 50s. I saw it with one of my girlfriends and he plays... Um, he either was or was suspected, I don't want to give it away, um, a murderer in it. And um, he was phenomenal. And then the rest of the movie was not very good. Um, but he was just, he was incredible in it. Um, wasn't, he he had, in, wasn't he in Maltese Falcon? Dennis, you'll know. Yes, he is in Maltese Falcon. Yeah. He's in Casablanca. He's in, he's in Casablanca, know. of course, yes. Yep, but he's in the Maltese Falcon as well. Yeah. And also your favorite director, Charlie Chaplin, once said he's the best actor of all time. <laughs> After seeing him in, See, that's, a... that's that's like those are soul connections, all of it. I believe that. that. Chase it was after home. seeing him in the 1935 movie Mad Love, which is a really fun, goofy horror movie <laughs> where he plays a surgeon. Um, well, anyway, yeah. Freeman, you're up for your number one actor. So uh, my number one actor is, I don't really know how to pronounce his name. Um, he's an Austrian actor uh, and I, it's Anton, I want to say Volbrook, um, who uh, I think his most famous role is actually in a movie I haven't seen, uh, which is Gaslight. Um, you haven't seen Gaslight? I haven't seen Oh, watch it, Freeman. <laughs> it's he's phenomenal in it. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's, so he's, he's phenomenal in, and the reason why I know him best is he's in two Powell and Pressburger movies, um, which are The Red Shoes in 48, and the one that I want to talk about, which is The Life and Death of Colonel Blimp in 1943. Uh, he's also in a really cool little thriller called Who Queen did he Spades. play in The Red Shoes? He's the the owner of the company, the the guy who falls in love with Moira Shearer that kind of ruins her life. Ah, um, yeah, and I visualize in, him now. Uh, in Life and Death of Colonel Blimp, he, which is this uh, incredible Powell and Pressburger kind of war epic um, that was made, I think, during yeah, in the midst of it was forty three, so it was made in the midst of World War Two. That was kind of a call to. Um, uh, England sort of civility in the in the midst of war, um, and he plays Theo Kretschmar-Schuroff, who's this German officer who has a running friendship with the main character Candy um, in the movie. And there's this one scene that's like maybe the best scene of any 1940s movie ever, where uh, Kretschmar-Schuroff's trying to. Uh, defect from Germany at the onset of World War II when the Nazis are taking over and they're interrogating him um, and he delivers this monologue about sort of his how he had a family in Germany how he loved Germany and then his sons became Nazis his wife died and it's it's this incredible Tr incredibly tragic story that he's telling um 
but he tells it with this really private pain that I don't think any other, I've seen anything else from the 40s. Um, I haven't seen much else from any other decade. Uh, that that scene really is one of the incredible um, standouts of cinema for me. Um, so yeah, Anton Waldbrook is my number one choice. Fantastic. I, I don't have much to say about that. I, I, I remember him in Gaslight. And now that you mention him, I remember him in Red Shoes. I don't remember as an actor really picking up anything there. So I'm yeah, going to have to um, look at them. Look at Life and Death of Colonel Blimp. It's, it's, it will also come up again when we talk about actresses. But uh, yeah, it's a really great movie with a really great performance by him fantastic i'm looking him up right now <laughs> um dennis you're number one well keep it brief bogart <laughs> if you haven't seen if you haven't seen you know we talked about uh you know about his his acting like it or not but he starts out as a you know as a, as a gangster in uh, dead end he, he plays a, a gangster, oh. Petrified Forest, in the 30s. And then uh, by the time you get to the 40s, he starts to transition into, into leading man. But High Sierra, he's still, he's still a gangster there, but he's a gangster with a heart. And um, I really love that film. Ida Lupino's in that. And uh, the other one that uh, people haven't seen a lot of is Dark Passage, where he plays a guy who's uh, it's all from, um, from his point of view. And uh, at least the first half of the movie is as if we're seeing it out of his eyes. Um, but, uh, but the dark passage is the fact that he can't see. So it's an interesting twist. I haven't, I haven't seen it in a while. I don't remember exactly how that fits together. But um, um, yeah, those, uh, those are two that uh, don't, don't get seen a lot, but are, but are really good. So there you have it. Uh, I don't think we need to spend any more time going over. Uh, we hope both. you enjoyed our podcast, The Love of Film. In episode four tonight, we discussed our favorite actors of the 1940s. For further information about our podcast, please go to www.leftbankfilms.com slash the love of film.